Blog Talk Radio. Humanity, particularly women. 
And today it is my great pleasure uh, to have returning to the show uh, Marsha McMahon. Uh, she hasn't been with me in a while, uh, and I'm glad to have her back uh, to see what's happened since our last conversation many moons ago. Um, Marcia uh, is going to be talking to me today about an assortment of topics, primarily Mary Magdalene, and uh, what she's channeled uh, from Mary Magdalene, as well as some peripheral topics. And uh, to give you a little bit of background on Marcia, she's an intuitive medium. Uh, she's been interviewed on both radio and TV for over 15 years. She's a spiritual teacher and angelic Reiki master and healer. And um, she's with me to dis- today uh, to discuss Mary Magdalene, as I said, but she also has a book out, uh, Mary Magdalene Speaks, and it's composed of both researched and channeled information about the life of Mary Magdalene and Yeshua, as uh, some of you know, is uh, another pronunciation for Jesus. Um, It also talks about the bloodline and the Holy Grail. We'll delve into the discrepancies uh, between traditional knowledge, uh, church authority preach to the masses and the Gnostic teachings that uh, Marcia has gleaned through her channeling gift. Uh, Marcia will share some of Mary's wisdom and um, if we have time uh, maybe uh, Marcia will uh, tell us about some of her experience visiting sites sacred to Mary and Jesus in Israel uh, as well as relics kept hidden uh, by the Vatican. So Marcia, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Well, thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here and represent the Divine Feminine as you do, because the more of us that stand in the the so-called Sarah Circle, the more empowered we are. So thank you again for inviting me back on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the sacred feminine manifests in so many countless ways. And, uh, you know, there's not one or two of us that can carry the message. Uh, So I think we all uh, carry it, um, you know, maybe in different ways and um, with different information. So, um, uh, Marsha, let me start at the beginning here because everyone who's listening, uh, they, you know, they may not have heard you speak before. They might not know about your work, your book. Um, uh, how did you come to write the book, Mary Magdalene Speaks? And, um, and because I, you know, I have to ask you this because I, I had a few people email me before the show. Um, how are you certain that this is actually, um, uh, you know, the material that you've channeled? How are you certain it's actually Mary Magdalene? Oh, well, those are very good questions. And I will start at the beginning. Um, in the beginning of the book, anyway, it opens up to Chapter 2 where I am interviewing people on a Holy Grail series on my Peaceful Planet show, which you were on and appeared on uh, many years ago, and I hosted it from about 204 until about 2018 with gaps in between. So basically, I used to have guests on that would, you know, fill in the blanks about this fascinating subject. The Da Vinci Code had exploded the knowledge of Mary Magdalene, and I met quite a few people who actually... Um, uh, a psychic named Robert Murray, particularly, who worked with me on Princess Diana messages, 
who corroborated all of my Diana messages. And uh, then I invited him on the show one time, and he read my past life records on air. He was a fabulous medium. And um, I connected to other past lives through teaching art history. So at the time I was running the show, I was also, um, you know, a psychic medium, you know, part of the time and um, show host uh, the other part of the time and writing, having written five uh, channel books now. So he read my records and revealed that I had a past life with Jesus and that he saw me walking around England with the early disciples after the crucifixion, and he said that Jesus was there. And I was, like, pretty odd because I had an inkling that I had a past life with Jesus, but I really never thought I would investigate it. So then I went for hypnosis and uh, found out that I indeed walked with the Master. And then I've been able to channel him all my life, and I thought that was a normal thing, that channeling was something everybody could do. (laughs) And then I found out when I released my first book with Princess Diana, that wasn't something that everybody could do, but actually I do believe they can. So mainly I've communicated with other mediums and channels who have come to me out of the blue, thanking me for that message and it spoke to them. And I also know that it's factual that I had a past life with her and my channeling is very accurate because... um, I've had corroboration from other mediums, and I've also done sacred travel to England, to Glastonbury, England, where Bob described that we were, you know, running around in the first century after the crucifixion, and then I made a sacred journey to Israel, and I located some of the places where I remember my past life as a sister of Mary Magdalene and a relative of Jesus. So you say a sister of Mary, Mary Magdalene. Are you talking biological sister or just a sister I, in the faith? Biological um, sister, biological okay. sister yes. Uh, and that, this was a great revelation because I was just only delving at the beginning, uh, very curious about, you know, the child Sarah and whether there was, you know, really a child and what the teachings were of Mary Magdalene. I always felt very close to Mary Magdalene. In prayer life, and I was raised Catholic, but I dispensed with that years ago. But anyway, um, um, uh, repeat the question again. Lost my train of thought well, for a well, moment. Well, yeah, yeah you, you answered that question, but I had another. You said that, you know, you went to Glastonbury, England, and, um, you know, walked in some of the paths that you walked with them in a, in a previous life. So that raises right. the, that raises the question, um, if Mary Magdalene and Jesus were in Glastonbury, does that mean he didn't die on the cross? Well, this is another question I explore in the book, and I have to be... Frank, I met with a lady there who remembers being Joseph of Arimathea, whom I also hosted on my radio program, and her name is Joanna Prentice, and she's also a famous author with Stuart Wilson, who co-authored the book The Power of the Magdalene. And when I interviewed her, she said, oh, I know who you are. She started calling me Martha instead of Marcia on the interview. So uh, the House of Martha and Mary was to answer the biological part, the, the house that I recognized when I went to Israel. But back to Glastonbury, 
I do remember being in Glastonbury and I connected with the sacred sites. I gathered water at the well with Joanna and um, then I make my own sacred um, rose oil uh, water anointing with roses and I use a little bit of the sacred well water. There's many, many sacred sacred feminine wells in Glastonbury. And um, yes, I was meeting with quite a few people who knew me and had connected with me and channeled with me. And so there was um, a wonderful, um, I guess you would say, a weaving together of a a corroborative um, people that I had regressed and met either on radio or they came to me for private regression sessions later to um, find out, oh, lo and behold, this was another disciple. So I have many disciples in my book uh, who came to me without knowing what they were coming for. And I regressed them. Marsha, but let me take you back to the question. (laughs) Um, Let me take you back to the question. So if you were there in Glastonbury with Mary Magdalene and Jesus, does that mean that Jesus didn't die on the cross? This is very, very complex, a question, and I appreciate that question. And it's it's not a factual thing that I can answer a yes or no to, um, but there is an overwhelming abundance of evidence that Jesus survived the crucifixion, possibly, and either healed or was, was what I have from Joseph of Arimathea in my book, who was the person that took Jesus down, that is the two... The, true story of what really happened and he said that he died for a time and he came back to life just as that we have today the near-death experience and then um, there are accounts of him appearing and reappearing what I personally believe is that he could manifest a body when he needed one and that he possibly did die but I also know that there are and I can contain these theories within my mind and perfectly comfortable with alternate realities if you will but um, there's a tomb of Esau in Afghanistan and uh, there lies um, uh, the remains of a savior quote quote unquote uh, the savior the healer Esau and that's what's on the tomb in Arabic and Esau is translated Jesus, and he bears the crucifixion marks of a first century crucifixion, and he dates to that date. The Muslims don't like the tomb, but they have it as a dedication to a prophet. So um, basically, I came across this stunning information from Bob, and I had to pursue it. My personal memories, and and I I don't believe that I'm influenced by the Catholic Church in any way because I haven't been active with them. In, in most of my adult life. So, but I personally was aggressed and I, I remember him appearing and disappearing. So when you want a factual answer to that, um, I look at the lore because I feel that the, the indigenous lore is that Jesus was all over the Middle East and the Near East and traveled to India. And then he was there in his childhood and then possibly um, was buried at that tomb. But when I asked him, he said he did die. So I think the most plausible theory that I have is what Joseph Amir of Mathea revealed in the book where he speaks about the mysteries of the tomb. And there's a whole chapter devoted to that. And he gets into 
how it had contained healers. There were crystals inside the tomb, and there were people like us that helped take down the body, laid him to rest, and then there were other healers that were brought in, feminine healers, who had the aloes, the myrrh, and all of that, and they had 100 pounds of aloe in there. So I don't know that that was really embalming or whether that was really, um, you know, used to to, um, heal the wounds. So there are very many different storylines. And if I could give you a fact, I would. But I've talked to Jesus personally. He says he did die, but maybe died and came back physically and was nursed back to health by Mary Magdalene. That's one theory. Um, The other theory that Joseph presents is that he was, his added atomic structure was rearranged and uh, brought into a fifth dimensional a body where he could manifest and disappear at will, sort of um, miraculously as an ascended master. So I believe that he was an ascended master, and I do believe that he possibly has a tomb in um, Afghanistan to this day. And so the whole theory, it, it blows apart the Christian theory of Christ died for your sins and all of that. So that's, right. that's one thing that would not be accept, accepted in Christian circles, but yet Mary Magdalene, in her writings in the Gospel of Mary, she tells a, bit, uh, a different story where he appears to her in the, in the um, mystical tradition of channeling. And she was herself a channel. And Jesus, by the way, was also a, a medium and a channel. So, um, okay. you know. Uh, well, let, let yeah. me ask you a few more questions, Marcia, uh, because I want to be able to get to a lot of different things. So, um, uh, sure. first of all, um, you know, for folks out there who, uh, you know, maybe haven't read Margaret Starbird's work or a lot of the other things that are out there that sort of dispels, uh, you know, the official church doctrine on, you know, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I mean, I know the church quietly, in a sense, came out and apologized for saying, you know, Mary Magdalene was um, a prostitute. Uh, it's interesting that they kind of, I don't know, I say they, they announced that quietly because, uh, it, you know, it wasn't like they made such a big thing about the apology as they did to call her prostitute, if you know what I mean. You know, they didn't, uh, the apology wasn't as big as the accusation, um, which uh, you know, was unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and I know uh, Margaret Rigoliozo, you know, she's written some great things about um, uh, particular women like uh, Mary Jesus's mother and Mary Magdalene. Uh, that um, you know these uh, you know these women who um, you know birthed uh, divine masters and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, you know, for for those that you know haven't been exposed to these other ideas, um, who would you say Mary Magdalene was, and do you believe Jesus intended her to lead the church? I do believe that Jesus intended her very much to lead the inner way mastery of the divine feminine, to answer the latter question. And as can remember from my past life regressions and as far as what she's told me and revealed to me, hidden truths about her life, uh, that she was the foremost female disciple and reconciled her relationship with Jesus after he he did go to India. Those are the missing years in the Bible. 
And there was a wedding held at Cana, and it was his wedding. So there are all these clues hiding in the open in the traditional story, but you really have to dig deep to get to the real story of Mary Magdalene, which is what I did over the course of 15 years. And then I, of course, researched all the Grail artifacts and the significance of the different pieces of Grail. But Mary says, in essence, that all the Grail artifacts cannot cannot equal uh, the love of uh, a man for a woman and a woman for a man. And that secret twin flame relationship or heart flame that we contain is, is part of the mystery of the divine feminine. So all of the grail quests are wonderful, and I, I love the descriptions of what happened to all the grail artifacts. Joseph goes into that in detail. But Mary's life was really very unique, and, and so was mine. I mean, she was Mary of Bethany, actually. As recorded in the Bible, hiding in plain sight, Jesus renamed her the Magdalene for her mother's town, Magdala, but also because it had a secret meaning, which means tower in Hebrew. And the Magdalene was to be the tower of the teacher, of the inner way teachings. And Peter was chosen for the masculine outer way teachings of the Ten Commandments and the teachings on love. But Mary had a more advanced teaching than Peter ever did. And Peter just respected her because she was a woman and cut her out of the deal, so to speak. It was Peter's doing, not Jesus's doing. So, uh, Marcia, you know, th- this would have been unusual for women of that time, right? I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, I'm not as well-versed on this as you, obviously, um, but, you know, there's some things I think I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but I recall that, you know, G- uh, maybe Mary Magdalene came from a family with money. She helped finance Jesus's ministry. Um, you know, it would have been unusual if she wasn't married, if he wasn't married. Um, So she was really, um, you know, cut from a different cloth, so to speak. I mean, she was not your average woman. Is that that right? Go into it, yes. And I'm glad you touched on all those main points about her. Yes, uh, we were from the house of Martha and Mary at Bethany. It's a four-story home. It was a home for lepers, and it was a kind of a... Um, a very elaborate home in which we entertained travelers. Mary was well-to-do. Joseph of Arimathea was our father or uncle. And it's debatable, and I still haven't figured that one out because a lot of my psychic friends say, no, he wasn't your father. He was, um, you know, your uncle. But Joseph told me personally that I was his daughter and that Mary and Lazarus were adopted. But in any case, um, I was there at the home. I remember it being a very special place. Mary spoke many languages and could write um, fluently in both the Hebrew and possibly the the Aramaic. And her gospel that was translated in Egypt, the part of the Nag Hammadi find that was translated later, um, was written in Coptic, obviously maybe not of her hand, but she was multilingual. She was very talented. She was very beautiful. And, um, She was never a whore or prostitute, but when Jesus left for India on the caravan, he was maybe 14 to 16 years of age when he went to India, he went to study with the other masters, the Hindu masters. So he went to explore other religions. 
And the whole idea behind Jesus is that he's an avatar, he's a great master, but he had to learn from other masters. So when he left, it broke her heart, and she told me that she had a time in Magdala where she was just moping around, very depressed, and um, I, I think she had other boyfriends, so to speak, but she was never a prostitute per se. But after um, her father, Joseph, found about out about that, he sent her directly to the Egyptian temple of Isis. So both um, Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary were initiates and great teachers in the temple of Isis. And most of the divine feminine teachings were um, brought forth through the Isis tradition. And most of the upward class Jewish women at that time were initiated there. So it's all kind of a worldview, a culture that is, is very different than what we think of as Christianity today. Right. Um, well, and I'm glad you brought up the ISIS connection because I think it might have been Lynn Picknett, um, who I first read, I believe, who said that uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene were practicing, um, you know, the ISIS Osiris teachings. In fact, when they raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, that was part of that. Um, does that ring any bells? Do you think that that's true? Um, I think that Jesus spent um, a definite time in Egypt because of the the nativity story and them fleeing to Egypt. That's true. And I know he was initiated in the temple and in the various, I I mean, the pyramid, the great pyramid was sort of a temple of initiation, which Mary did later. They weren't practicing together on that because Jesus was gone at the time that Mary was initiated in the ISIS tradition. Um, but I, I want to say um, that she basically was the representative, um, the archetype of, um, you know, Isis and Osiris, the same tradition of the resurrection. And they were at various times practicing, yes, the rehearsal for the great drama that was about to unfold. And whether he died and came back to life or, you know, as a near-death experience or whether he transmuted his atomic um, atoms, he certainly was a great master. But from what I can glean with my channelings and writings, after he um, was resurrected or healed, he left out of Palestine. He was a wanted man. He had to get out. So either way, um, he was gone, and she only communicated with him telepathically. And then that was her choice to then write those teachings down so she wrote a number of gospels and some of them have yet to be uncovered so she tells me so she says that there's one still in front so um I, I read Holy Blood, Holy Grail. I found it fascinating. Um, right. And, um, it, yeah, I mean, so much stuff in there. I mean, it's it's so dense. You really have to, whew, it, it takes a lot of effort to read it, but it's it's uh, it's worthwhile. Um, I want to know, um, Marsha, do you believe that um, uh, Mary and Jesus had children? And uh, is there really a bloodline today uh, that's in in the Holy Blood, Holy Grail book? Yes, I absolutely know it because I had a person that was part of my Reiki circle. And she came later uh, um, after we had been in circle for many years. 
And I regressed her, and she was part of the soul aspect of Sarah, who was the child between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And according to Mary, there was another wife prior to her who he was with in India, and he had three children, came back from India, and he introduced the other wife as um, a sister. So there was polygamy practiced at that time, too. But the importance of Sarah is that she was also hidden from history. But in my book, on the chapters on the grail, the grail artifacts speak at the, at the end of the book. Uh, Sarah speaks of her existence as the Black Madonna. So there's all these Black Madonna traditions throughout the Catholic Church and on display at the St. Marie de la Mer. And um, she reveals a lot of hidden information in a few paragraphs, if you'd like me to read part of the, what Sarah says. But I know that they did because I regressed the child. Okay, let's let's go ahead and do that, and then uh, we're probably going to have to take a short break for a commercial. That'll be fine. Let me find uh, my excerpts here. I've got them all marked. Okay. So in total, um, um, how many children did uh, Jesus have with uh, Mary and the woman from India? Well, um, the total between Jesus and Mary Magdalene was just Sarah, to my understanding. And then to my understanding, there were three other children, and I really don't know their names or much about them. And the woman was actually... Um, a, a native to um, Israel, and her name was Miriam, and he married her when he was on his travels. He met her somewhere. I guess she was the woman at the well referred to. And then, um, not a sinner, but just another woman that he met who had he had been betrothed to marry, but unfortunately, he married her because they, they fell in love as young love, and he decided he was going anyway India and so she went with him. So I don't really have any factual evidence and I I cannot say that I remember this woman because she was very obscure and only introduced as cousins and sisters and things of that nature because all the disciples were at risk. They were always going looking to kill Jesus so everyone had to have almost a secret identity, you know, so to speak. So I can speak to you for sure um, there was the, the bloodline in Europe, and it ran through the royal families um, because Jesus and Mary were initially from the house of David. And um, so basically, you know, that carried on when she went to France, and Sarah lived with her mother and then married into what became the Mergavindian line. Okay, so all of that so holy blood, talk- holy grail stuff you you believe is um, is most of it's to be, to be believed. Yes, and I have an excerpt if you'd like to hear Sarah speak about it. It would be yeah, a paragraph. Yeah, go ahead. Two. Yeah, I've been, okay. yeah, I was waiting the for you to find Madonna. it. Uh, I've got it now. The Black Madonna. Okay. I'm seeing Sarah. I see that the Black Madonna resembles a darker girl who could be from Egypt. She was rumored to be the slave girl of Mary Magdalene, but that was a decoy story for Sarah, who was born born in Egypt. Uh, Sarah speaks, Thousands of pilgrims have touched me and regained their health. 
by believing in the power of healing from Mary Magdalene and Jeshua and myself. I am the most sacred of relics, and I come to you today to speak of the story of Sarah. In this region of France, and she's located, I might add, Sarah, the statue of Sarah, is located at the church of Marie de la Mer, described in Holy Grail, Holy Blood. In this region of France, there were many who knew of my real identity. The priest, whom you are aware of, dug up those finds in the church of Marie de la Mer, who was very well aware that there was an only child, and it was myself. He was paid a ransom note from the Catholic Church and the Vatican for recovering this material. He actually found my bones and the shovel and other precious relics, including part of the true cross and fragments of other Gospels written by Mary Magdalene that were located there. What was revealed was so upsetting to the Catholic Church hierarchy, they decided to make this priest very wealthy and let him live out his days in luxury. Then the church confiscated all the relics, the Gospels, and other items of Mary Magdalene, and they're now sealed up deeply inside the Vatican Library and only available to the trusted few. And then she goes on well, to tell the story. That um that that says an awful lot. So um so what is your take, Marsha, on why um you know, why did the why did the organized religion, the church, uh why did they depart from the truth? You know, what was their I mean, was it uh, misogyny? Uh, you know, why did they try to write out um, Mary Magdalene, the family, the, you know, the real truth of it? Well, I believe that it was a very primitive world that they entered at that time. And it was almost like the Romans had it a very uh, low vibration where there was so much suffering on the part of the conquested people. And, um, so many crucifixions of innocent people and so much darkness that they brought in so much light that the light was almost sort of blinding. Um, and there evolved over the course of time when Mary wrote her Gospels and then Peter wrote his and the other male disciples wrote theirs, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, primarily became what is known as the Quella source. And that source is now thought to be uh, another discovered ancient book. Uh, but before I del- delve there, I just want to focus on the question, which is uh, how did it get covered up so badly? And how did it get missing? And there evolved this tradition of Gnostic um, Essene tradition. The Essenes were the family of Jesus who lived in communities who were scholars and also went inside to speak with their divine source and that's what Jesus was really teaching. And the Catholic Church didn't like any uh, ideas about going within to the divine. And so that became the Gnostic tradition. And it, they rejected the Gnostic tradition because they couldn't have control over the people. So they did a fine job of editing out every worthy gospel. And I think all of the Gnostic gospels were worthy. But she tells me even her gospel was translated too many times to be completely accurate, but you can see that she had a conflict, an early conflict with Peter, the outer church, the voice for the outer church, and he was very vocal and very much a man's man, as I remember from my past life regressions, and I also regressed 
Peter. I came to meet Peter. And it, Peter had manifested a woman's body this time. Very much supports the divine feminine now. But at that time, um, we went back to the event, and there was arguing between the two of them. And if you look up the Gospel of Mary Magdalene online, which anyone can do, it's been found. It's called the Gospel of Mary. In short, the first paragraph you come to is a fight or a disagreement, I would put it more politely, between Peter and Mary, where Mary is disseminating this very advanced um, given information that only Jesus gave her. And he says, well, Mary, um, I know the Savior loves you more than any one of us, but how can you possibly teach your only woman? So he kind of, you know, that's how it got started with that original sin of shutting down the, the, the mastery of what Mary Magdalene was to teach. And she wasn't appointed to be the outer church, but Peter was. And so, unfortunately, those gospels became renegade gospels and buried, the, you know, the monks who revered the tradition of Mary Magdalene, the desert monks in Egypt, buried these in scrolls. And they're called the Coptic Gospels or the Nag Hammadi Finds, which was found in about 1880, and then only recently translated after the Second World War. So basically, um, these Gospels got suppressed because of the patriarchy of the Roman Empire, because, as you know, the first pope they considered to be Peter, and then, you know, he was just kind of a little Caesar. So they modeled it along the Caesar the Caesar platform after the Roman Empire kind of fell apart. So it got the endorsement of... So we're talking, all right, so it's ego, misogyny, sexism, um, but uh, also, and, and I mean, and I'm asking you this, I'm, uh, it, if, it, it, you know, to get your opinion, um, my okay. memory of some of this, you know, uh, this topic is the Gnostic Gospels also talk about the idea that a person can... Um, you know, connect with God on their own, so to speak. And now wouldn't right. that make, make irrelevant uh, rabbis and priests and this whole, um, uh, you know, it, it, you know this, this whole cottage industry of the organized right. church? Yes, and that is why the primary reason is that the real teaching of Jesus, he always said, and that did make it to the Bible. The kingdom of God is within you. He's talking about go within to your own truth and your own heart. And yes, Karen, you hit it exactly right on the nail. And that was the most threatening idea, besides there being a, a woman spokesperson who could actually teach and was bilingual and was very eloquent. She was very, very shy in the beginning and learned from Jesus at the house of Martha and Mary. But by the time she finished her training with him, and the crucifixion happened, then she became, you know, a great teacher, and she was bilingual. So basically, um, yeah, they they chose to eliminate it because it was a man's world back then. That's not excusing what they did. And and because Peter and, and all the people that saved the documents, the men that saved the documents in St. Augustine, all the people in the Constantine um, era, who founded the religion, basically, at that um, conference that they had in 330 A.D., the Council of Nicaea, um, decided to eliminate. And anyone 
could be considered a heretic for holding on to anything that had the word Gnostic or Azine or go within or anything like that. But there were other, other sects of, um, you know, religions that traveled even further east and that have Jesus, you know, as a God King and it's, it's it, little, you know, Muslim um, sects that honor, uh, you know, Jesus and mother Mary too. And yeah. so there's the, they're, they're all indigenous traditions seem to honor the male and the female equally, but are yeah. unfortunately evolved into this really patriarchal thing because of different concepts. Women were a threat right. to them. The financial right. structure of uh, offering confession and all that, you know. Um, we're going to have to take a break now, Marcia. Um, and when we come okay. back, um, uh, I, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue this. But uh, uh, we have to have a word from Joe Carson right now. Right. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy, and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, if you're a regular listener, uh, you may be aware that uh, my seventh book uh, was released last month, and it's called uh, Normalizing Abuse, a Commentary on the Culture of Pervasive Abuse. And I wrote that because uh, many of us may be enduring some kind of pervasive abuse or uh, possibly are witness to it and may not even be aware of it. We're being bombarded from so many directions that we may have become blind to abuse and exploitation. The abuse almost feels normal. Although we might sense something's not right, yet the problem might not be apparent. That could be because abuse and resulting trauma is not always blatant or obvious. It can be collective, insidious, and pervasive. We may also be conditioned to it so deeply that it's no longer recognized as abuse by the victims, perpetrators, and greater society. 
You know, I considered myself savvy and educated and an advocate for peace, fairness, and equality. I thought abuse was something that happened to others, not me, but it was happening to me. I was asleep at the wheel and didn't see the danger signs as my life sort of, um, I guess you could say, careened off the road. Abuse and the resulting trauma can happen to anyone, regardless of age, race, gender identity, beliefs, or economic status. And we have to examine all aspects of our lives for both blatant and insidious abuse. We must recognize it and take steps to eradicate abuse from our lives and society. Because it shapes how we see ourselves, it shapes how we see the world, it shapes the decisions we make. It's so important that we raise our awareness so that we eradicate any abuse or exploitation from our lives. So I would invite you to go to my website, karentate.net, and uh, look into this a little bit further. Look at my other books there. Look at the recent one, Normalizing Abuse. See if you resonate with that, because so often uh, in conversations, people have said to me, you know, I don't have any abuse happening in my life. And then we talk a little bit, and they realize they actually do, and it is affecting their lives. They've just put blinders on. So I invite you, please, uh, look at uh, Normalizing Abuse at my website, karentate.net, or just uh, check it out on Amazon. It's got um, a lot of wonderful uh, endorsements there. All right, so um, we are back, uh, and I am speaking with Marsha McMahon, and uh, we're talking about Mary Magdalene Speaks. And, um, Marsha, we talked a lot about the history, um, you know, trying to set the history right and dispel some of the disinformation that the church intentionally put out there, you know, for their own agendas, shall we say. Um, What Mm -hmm. I'm curious about is, um, I mean, I get it that what Jesus and Mary were, um, I I look at it like this, they were really ahead of their time. You know, they were talking to a rather primitive society about ideas that were probably too far advanced for for the time period. You know, maybe he and she should have come much later, you know, when they were more, you know, uh, more educated people, um, you know, who were maybe looking for a culture that wasn't so patriarchal, that wasn't so dominated by organized religion, you know, who are willing to be open to alternative spirituality. So, um, I guess I want to ask you, um, what would Mary and Jesus say about what's going on today? Um, what would they like to see changed uh, to maybe reshape our society and culture? Well, that's an excellent point and an excellent question. And referring back to the historical context that you raised, it would seem that it was the most primitive of times to come. But in actuality, Jesus, in, in a sense, did save us a lot of, of grief and suffering. On the one hand, if you look at the teachings in sincerity, because he was teaching love, and so was she. And these were very, very high forms of love, including sexual union and all that kind of thing that's been hidden by the church as well. But uh, to bring it home today, um, I think it's, it's really important 
look at what's going on with the, the feminine divine today and bring her back from the recesses of history. And also, um, I have um, the, um, a really short passage on the meaning of the Holy Grail and how it applies today and how it's raising in the consciousness from when I visited the Glastonbury well, Chalice Well. If I could read a few uh, excerpts, I think that would answer the question perfectly, if that would be allowed. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Gathered all around this well in memory of me she, and Joshua, it is indeed a great day in the sun. For the sunshine is now pouring forth a magical glistening light, a rainbow. Out of the mists of Avalon on the other side of the tour, a holy chamber is being birthed. My dear friends, everywhere, this birthing chamber is the grail child, the birth of the divine feminine. All the secrets that the church has held and withheld for centuries will be known in this book and in this time that will be explaining the real meaning of Holy Grail. For Holy Grail is not the grail, a person, or the blood of Jesus, or even my child who I named Sarah and carried through Egypt, finally to England, to this very site. Holy Grail is not an artifact. The Grail is the divine feminine, which is being birthed from these wells of the subconsciousness of mankind and womankind. This is the kindness of the divine feminine that can be known and experienced as divine love. So that's a pretty beautiful um, explanation for today's time. And if only that could have been taught instead of all these senseless religious wars and senseless uh, patriarchal religions that still persist in putting women in their place today, so to speak. There's there's just an awful lot we have yet to go. And I'm really glad for the opportunity to bring Mary's beautiful words to the surface. And they are in the subconscious because I don't know when you experienced reading the Holy Grail, Holy Blood, if, if that resonated true or you ultimately firsthand rejected it because it was so foreign. But a lot of the concepts I deal with in the book are completely foreign to most Christians. And it's just been such an unfortunate distortion of the, the patriarchal teachings for so too long. But, you know, I bring forth other divine feminine masters like Princess Diana and Mother Mary, and they're all saying the same thing, that the women need to get empowered and not regress, including in American society, which we have a tendency of that going on with um, so many of our rights being stripped away again. And so, you know, I, I know... I'll go ahead, Kim. Well, well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, uh, I, I started this radio show back 13 years ago, and we were talking about a lot of these subjects. And as I went back recently and listened to some of the old shows, I realized it's really gotten worse for women in a lot of respects, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, you have this movement now, uh, you know, to take away women's rights to their bodies. It's as if, you know, once a woman is pregnant, she has doesn't even have the right to live if the pregnancy is going to, um, you know, cost her her life. You know, it's almost as if the fetus has, um, um, you know, takes precedent over the mother herself. And it's really crazy because we know some of these past 
um, uh, you know, church leaders considered women's bodies just an incubator for the male seed. You know, it, it was, you know, it was all about, um, you know, this hierarchy of um, of God, and then there was man, and everything else fell beneath those two, you know, God and and the male, and everything below men, that meant the earth, that meant the species on it, that meant women. Well, you know, this all became commodities in service to, um, you know, man, and they say they're serving God, and uh, God has given them license to rule over everything. And look at the mess they've made of things, right? Um, It's... I mean, I, I'm a I'm a lover of the writing of uh, Merlin Stone, and uh, she said uh, it started with the Garden of Eden. It was the first piece of political propaganda when Eve was demonized, you know. And it's been um, I hate to say it, but a battle of the sexes uh, for thousands of years. But um, you know, we see that. Um, you know, uh, Mary and Jesus were trying to shift this. Uh, the whole idea of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, Holy Ghost used to be Sophia, the mother. Uh, it used to be about the divine family. And um, I would recommend people, besides reading your book, Marsha, they also read Margaret Starbird's books. Because Margaret yeah. Starbird... For listeners who might not be aware, she was outraged at these ideas that you and I have been talking about. Um, She just thought it was crazy that people were believing Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married and had children and all this alternative history. But And she set out to dispel these ideas. But what happened? She became a believer. And then she started writing books about the stuff she discovered that, that um, you know, that proved, um, you know, these, these other ideas. And so she went from, you know, trying to dispel all of this because she thought it was misinformation to becoming a believer. So um, I don't know. I think things are shifting gradually. It's just change comes really slow. It does. And it seems to, you know, it seems like we've had in recent years a lot of setbacks for women's rights, both in the United States and in foreign countries such as Afghanistan. And it's pretty much the fault of the patriarchal religions that that monotheism has birthed. And there's new movements, though, and it, it's it's like the subconscious mind grasps that the, the, these things really aren't real or true. And, and when you try to live according to some of these uh, precepts, they just don't work. So I think the divine feminine is reemerging in a lot of the goddess wisdom that's coming forth out of the pagan traditions, and out of the native traditions and all of that. And all of these traditions should be honored because everything has um, the kernel of truth. But when I started uncovering all this stuff, I did have Margaret Starbird on my show, by the way, and she told me the exact place in the Bible that she had found in Micah where in the prophet Micah there there was a reference to not only Jesus coming out of the tree of Jesse, but his his partner would be coming out of the tree of Jesse and she would be rejected by the nations. So she was very clever in her scriptural interpretation, but 
it was, you know, it, it's an unraveling to discover these truths. It takes time. And then when you do take the time to go into the history and find the real history, you have to spread it in whatever way you can. And then you have to people, what I do in my spiritual work is connecting people to the sacred divine. So when I do readings, I connect to Mary Magdalene, Princess Diana, or Mother Mary as true and, and authentic guidance for people. And all we can do is gently guide and suggest people open their minds to the presence of Divine Mother, who is kind of left out of the equation. And Divine Mother yeah. can do as much as Divine And they work together. And there are many names for Divine right. Mother. But, you know, Western traditions all honor Divine Mother. And I attend a, a Divine Mother um, a weekly session, used to, and it's given out by Connie Hubner, who's a, another great one for knowing a lot about Divine Mother and using it for clearing because Divine Mother is the divine birther of all of us. She is the divine creator, more so the predominant creator than the divine father. And she's the one that heals and nurtures and brings us back. So Mother Mary's revered in the Christian tradition, and I work a lot with her too as Divine Mother, but she told me Divine Mother, she was an aspect, a soul aspect of Divine Mother from the very beginning of our earth. So she's an old, old soul still guiding the planet. And I don't really put her in a Catholic category, though a lot of people I know do rosary and whatever. You know, um, I I don't get anything out of that, but I would enjoy a good channeling session with Mother Mary, you know. So that is what we can do, you know. And to to try to reform our society, to try to write to representatives and empower more women to come into office, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, Marcia, um, are you open to taking a question? Because it looks like uh, one of the people that's been holding on listening uh, might have a question for you. I don't have a way to screen it, uh, but, you know, if, uh, if it's not a legitimate question, I can always mute the person. Yes, I'll, I'll take the question if there's uh, an interested Okay, call let's, let's see. All right, let's All see. Right. Mm-hmm. Hi, caller from the 415 area code. Uh, did you have a question for Marsha? Yes. Hi, it's Siobhan, and I think I've spoken to Marsha before. Um, oh, hi. I, yeah, I know from another hi. radio show. Yeah. Um, I love that you're bringing out this, you know, I, I have to tell you intuitively, every time I heard Peter was the first pope of the church, I, I just went, it, it, it put a bad taste in my mouth because I almost felt like his his arrogance and aggression towards Mary Magdalene was almost out of complete and utter hate for women. You know, and I'm like, was he gay? I mean, just because that's always the feeling I got about him. And I think that the Catholic Church is, I have been raised in it. And I can tell you, you will not ever see me send money to Rome. You will not ever see me say that I like the Pope. Not that he's not a good man or whatever, but I just... I don't feel like men should lord themselves over women. And I always felt like Mother Teresa and and Princess Diana were the two women who really emulated Jesus and Mary Magdalene that we're finding out. So my question is, did you ever? Yes, I did. I always thought that that break uh, between Jesus' life where he's like 13 and in the temple and then now he's 33 and being executed, 
What was yeah. that? Why did they take that out? And I feel Peter took it out. You know, and I wonder if oh, they've ever yeah. talked about that. Oh, church fathers later on took it out, but Peter um, was the beginning of the male hierarchy, and then Constantine convened the, the series of bishops who were then only allowed to be male. Originally, in Jesus' church, Mary Magdalene was a priestess, and other women were okay. mentioned as ministers or presbyters. They, they used the, the word presbyter from the Greek, but minister. And women were allowed to anoint, give communion, and do baptisms and all the things that they do in the Christian church. But um, the thing is, um, it was edited out by a series of bishops that convened at the Nicene Council in about 330 to 330 AD, of course, over a course of years, examining the Gospels. And they wanted something that would be unified in its teaching. So they came up with the Nicene Creed. I'm sure you're well familiar with it, and you can recite it by heart since you were raised Catholic, you know. But I Mm -hmm. do agree with you that there was hostility between Peter and Mary Magdalene, and I I could feel it during my regression sessions because I actually, I was regressing a woman, she had been Peter, and and, and she didn't express uh, open hostility, but I could feel that there was disdain in another regression that I did with that child, Sarah, and and she said, Peter's a man's man, and, you know, he just doesn't respect women, and that was the common, commonly held attitude. So the, those factors combined, but I, I do believe that you're completely right, and how did you know all of that just by intuition? I have to ask you, Siobhan, because you're very gifted at, at, at yourself. Well, I was, when I, I was in, now this speaks to, I'm writing down all of uh, Karen stuff now too to go read I was abused as a child pretty badly by my mother and my father stood back and he knew something was going on but he, he, he in his silence that was confirming she could do it and she was abused by her father and her mother and it was a very like she couldn't let a gifted child be a gifted child in her family although her mother was completely clairvoyant and she would fall asleep in certain situations wake up and see ghosts and you know, she levitated above her bed, that kind of thing, a couple times, we were told. And um, she just could not handle that intuition. But I remember being a teenager and Mary, the mother of Jesus, coming down and holding me after an abusive situation, right? <laughs> because I was crying my eyes out. And she, she oh, did bless it, you. you know, also like 16, 17, like maybe from when I was like 15, 16, 17, those years of my life, she would hold me. And and tell me it's okay. beautiful. Lovely. That, yeah. that is a... yeah. Marcia, um, um yeah. we're gonna have to kind of wrap this up because you do have another question okay. if um I, I Siobhan, thank you so much for calling in and, and sharing that Lovely. experience. I'm I'm sure that uh gives comfort to other people that uh you know they know they can reach out to Mary for comfort as well if they're if they're suffering as you did. Mhm. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, I love so you. So Marsha, um, we're 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 running short on time, but you do have another caller. Sure. Let's see. Let's see how this goes if it goes as well as it did with Siobhan. All right. Thank you. 
Um, hi, caller Hello. from the 740 area code. Did you have a question for Marsha? Well, yes, I did, actually. I was in, wanted to inquire with Marsha. Hi, Marsha, this is William. Um, I was calling to inquire with Jesus's other wife. Did she have, well, you said, I believe, if I remember correctly, hearing pretty much most of the show, she had, uh, he, they had three children. Is that correct? I, that's assumed to be correct. These are uh, channeled messages from Mary Magdalene, yes. and this is what Mary conveyed <clears throat> to me. Um, Jesus mm-hmm. did not confirm that, by the way, and I did not ask him the question. And so that is thought to be correct. I have to, you know, back to yeah. the food. But, yes, I, yes. I believe that he had yes. children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what I was getting myself, honestly, um, was she, she gave birth to an, a, a little girl and two boys, I believe. If I'm hearing correctly from my well, who thank I, you. Uh, connect with. Yes. I think there were boys yes. because there's another tomb that was investigated. I'm sorry. And we'd have to, there was another tomb found in, um, by Simka Jakubovic, who, um, is a, an Israeli uh, archaeologist who found a hidden tomb belonging to the family of Jesus, and there were names on the coffins that corresponded to Jesus's other children. One was Jose, uh, short for Joseph. So we don't know, and that you know was repressed information too. But thank you uh, for yes, sharing your insight. That's beautiful. So there were two boys and one yes. girl. Mary told me she enjoyed the children. I have not been regressed to that aspect of, of Jesus' life to tell you for sure that I remember them. But when you say that, it fills my heart with joy, which is my confirmation. And I appreciate your gifted mediumship to bring that forth today on today's show. Wow. That's, really, thank you for calling, William. So, Marcia, do you think part of the problem in tracking this all is not only the fact that the church wanted it hidden and they had a lot of, you know, people associated with the church that would help them in that goal, but also we had so many Marys and so many Josephs and, um, it, and you know, it's just so hard to know who was who because the names just repeat don't they, though? And I, I was given the name Miriam of Tiana for the alternate wife that Jesus married early on and then took to India. And I've heard Miriam of Tiana um, mentioned in other channeled works, but I really didn't believe it. I do am familiar because I channel Mother Mary and channel Mary Magdalene. So I, I agree that there were quite a few Marys and quite a few Jesuses around. And a lot of people used that because they were hoping that that would be the chosen one because the Messiah energy was very high in those days. And the entire group of Azeans wanted um, the Messiah to appear and save them and save the nation of Israel. But he came for a different purpose, which was to save all of us to a new philosophy of love. That's my belief in Jesus. And his greatness is not at all diminished by him having you know, two wives possibly or a child or any of the missing information and and for that matter Mary's greatness. But it was diminished in history. So the only way that you can really know is by, I guess, uh, becoming familiar with these deities 
because there are many names for the divine feminine. And Mary is a common name. And there were a lot of them. And it took a lot of research to really track this down, Karen, to be truthful. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I believe, believe me, I know. I mean, I was raised a Catholic, came from the Bible Belt myself. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't hear about any of this kind of stuff there. I mean, I know, um, you know, I was 30 years old before I discovered the sacred feminine. And it took leaving the Bible Belt. And, it, um, you know, I have to say it makes me a little bit angry that that information was kept from me, and um, and you know that's why I've devoted the last thirty years of my life to um, uncovering the sacred feminine as deity archetype and ideal because I know the impact it had on my life, and it pains me so much to see churches now that don't seem to be teaching the the message of love from Jesus. Instead, they're more interested in prosperity gospels, which ties into capitalism, which is, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a predatory economic system that, um, you know, has so many people in poverty and suffering. And it's the antithesis of Jesus, you know? Well, yeah, Marcia... Go ahead, um, and, and then we're going to yes, have to I, wrap up. I'm going to give you a last word. Oh, well, thank you for having me on the show. It was a real pleasure to reconnect, and I love the work that you're doing with with the divine feminine goddess energy, and I'm very drawn into that, and I'm really also interested in hosting my own divine feminine retreats and getting back up and active with it, and um that's kind of my function. So I respect and honor what you're doing with the goddess tradition and bringing the world uh, into an awareness of it. And I'm very interested in that. And if I have a chance to, um, you know, do a, another radio program, uh, again, I would certainly welcome you to be on the show. So far, I haven't committed to that. But I really am grateful that you allowed me to speak today and that the show worked out so beautifully. And I'm honored, and Mary Magdalene is honored. And I have one last message for you from Spirit. And they want to confirm that you were actively a participant in the ISIS worship in Egypt. And that I got that from the records. So I'll leave you with that thought. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because I did have a, um, a past life experience. And you know me, Marcia, oh, okay. I'm a skeptical Virgo. So I'm not quick to believe those sorts of things you know it it's cuz i don't want to dupe myself or you know or be disillusioned but um thank you uh you know thank you for that confirmation it validates um you know it, it validates information i thought could have been real <laughs> well i know and when you experience the past life you don't really think oh this is not real i'm just imagining this stuff and i thought the very same thing and i come from an analytical background but I've always been gifted intuitively so just open that right brain a little bit more and a little uh, little little bit more of that goddess Isis light into your mind and start writing with her you'll never know what will emerge I do to channel well, too, by well, the way well honestly Marcia Isis was the first goddess 
that I felt drawn to uh, 30 years ago. Um, you know, her, uh, and and I mean, you know, you you can see if you came into my living room, uh, a three foot tall statue of Isis. She's kind of the central um, goddess that's um, you know been at the center of my life. So so your guide said I was a priestess of Isis in a past life. Yes, yes, that's what I was picking up throughout the interview. Yes, I connected to you today, and I sent a blessing okay. to you from. The- feminine and then I got that message so great I'm I'm delighted that uh, that was right on for you appreciate that thank you thank you Marcia so Marcia um, tell listeners how they can find you do you have a website a Facebook page what's the best way to find you well the best way to find me I have quite a few websites um, Diana speaks to the world is my classic website that goes back to 201 I have a Mary Magdalene website, but the best way to find me is on Facebook at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, McMahon, M-C-M-A-H-O-N. And I can give out my email if anybody would like to connect with me and and get a reading or uh, buy the book. The book is on Amazon, and the uh, email is Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, D-I, as in Diana, 2002, at Yahoo.com. If you'd like to um, order a book or a reading or a past life regression, perhaps with me, so you can reach me on usually on Facebook. I host the Circle of the Divine Feminine on Facebook, and I do monthly channelings. And I appear on other uh, shows, Messages of Light with Amanda, and I've been appearing more regularly on her show too. So uh, feel free to okay. reach out if you have. All right. Thank you so much for a wonderful time today, Karen. It was a real pleasure yeah, Marcia, to be with you. Yeah, Marcia, thank you. Yeah, it was really All great right. to have this information on the show. And listeners can go into our archives um, uh, at Blog Talk, Voices of the Sacred Feminine on Blog Talk. And um, the past interviews I did with Marcia are there as well. Uh, so I invite you to... Uh, you know, to to go back and listen to those if um, you enjoyed today's show. And uh, if you're new to the show, uh, or even if you're not, I just wanted to mention um, the, the next few shows that are coming up um, in June. Um, you know, later on in this month, um, I'm going to be doing a show with Robin Korak on the topic of the goddess Demeter, and uh, also uh, scholar Rachel, uh, Rachel McCopin is going to be with me, and we're going to be talking about um, her book called Goddess Lost, How the Downfall of Female Deities degraded women's status in world culture. That kind of ties into a little bit of what we've been saying here about the misogyny and sexism. Uh, Marilyn Nyberg, is, uh, she's a sacred activist, and we're going to talk about a woman's guide to sacred activism. And uh, Thomas Quinn, uh, who wrote the book uh, The Chocolate Jesus, it's a funny, humorous book. Uh, he's going to be talking about Christianity and politics. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of interesting shows coming up, and there's a lot of interesting shows uh, that are already in the archives that I invite you 
you to go back and listen to. And uh, please do visit my website, karentate.net. That's kind of the hub uh, for all of my work. Uh, You'll find past podcasts there. You'll find articles, uh, lots of interviews I've done about the relevance and importance of the sacred feminine uh, to help us create a better world. Uh, a lot of other different um, uh, talks as well about um, uh, the history of, of goddesses, mythology, um, all sorts of things related to the sacred feminine, whether it be deity, archetype, uh, or ideal. So um, I want to thank you all uh, for tuning in today and uh, remind you of an important quote. And it goes like this, and the author is actually unknown. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, and then you win. So if you're out there talking about something that the um, the mainstream world finds a little bit difficult to swallow, you know what? You just keep talking about it if you know it's true, and eventually they will come around to your way of thinking. So Marcia, thank you for your work in the world out there. Oh, thank you so much, too, for your work in the world, and we'll keep in touch. I really enjoyed being on air with you again, Karen. It was my honor. And Okay, and thank you the- to all the – yes, absolutely, Marcia. Thank you so much, and uh, thanks to all the folks who called in and asked questions. We really appreciate it, and um, uh, we will. We'll do this again, Marcia. Thank you so much, Karen. Bye for now. Bye-bye. And as a tribute to the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet, we're going to close the show with the music uh, from Abigail Spinner McBride called Um Sekhmet.